High-rise tragedy, fire engulfs an apartment in Vancouver's West End. What we're learning about the potential cause. Ready for normal. There are no easy answers. Even with a record number of patients in care, people have had it with COVID restrictions. And hospital staffing stretched to the limit. And they said that they didn't have enough staff on today to feed her her meals. The brutal choices putting patients at risk. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with the second fatal fire in as many days in Vancouver. This one in a high rise on the city's west end. Kamal Kuramali is live with what we're learning about this tragedy and Kamal also what might have caused it. Chris, we know now that a 37-year-old man is dead after this fire and 12 hours after this blaze started, you can still see the extensive and devastating damage to the fourth floor unit and the adjacent and units above it. Uh, and now crews are investigating this fire as potentially electrical. The raw power of this fire blasting out the windows of this fourth floor unit. People jolted from their beds around 6 a.m. Monday morning. I woke up in the, in the early morning to the sound of screaming. And raced towards the exits. As we were coming out, glass was falling on us as we were coming out the fire escape. Fire crews arrived shortly after to a two-alarm blaze at this 12-story building on Pendrel Street near Davie and Jervis in the city's west end. Our crews were advised that someone was trapped in the fire and unable to escape. A 37-year-old man who lived in the unit was taken to hospital in critical condition. He later died. A woman who also lived in the apartment that was engulfed in flames suffered smoke inhalation. She's expected to survive after a harrowing escape. She could not get out the door of, of the unit. She actually exited out the window and it does not have a balcony. It's a concrete structure and climbed to the unit next door. Tenants say she's the building manager. The man she lived with who died was her boyfriend, known to everyone as Tim. Tim did a lot of maintenance around the building. Um, it was very, like I said, just they were very kind. The minute there was something wrong, like the, the door broke, Tim was right there and he fixed it. And um, during the snow, he was out there every hour on the hour. A look inside the fourth floor unit shows the extensive damage left behind. Early stages of the investigation has revealed this appears to have been an electrical fire that was accidentally sparked in the living room area. Fire crews say the building does not have a sprinkler system, something that could have saved this man's life. Kamal, this comes on the heels of another deadly fire over the weekend. Obviously a very busy start to the new year for fire crews. Well, take a look at this number. So F Vancouver Fire says that last year in 2020, there was a total of five fire-related deaths. And so far already, we've seen four in 2022, and we're not even into February yet. We don't usually see this many, and it worries me. It worries me starting into January that we're seeing this kind of uh, devastation, and we need to wake up Vancouver and Vancouver needs to do what we can, install, test your smoke alarms, change your batteries, replace them if they're over 10 years old. 
And uh, one of the biggest numbers that we've seen in recent years is eight fire-related deaths, and that was in 2018, Chris. So uh, Vancouver Fire really hoping people do the right things, especially replacing those batteries. Back over to you. Yep, very, very important. Thanks very much, Kamal. Now, Vancouver Fire and Rescue now say the home where three members of the same family died in a fire over the weekend had a smoke alarm, but it did not appear to be working. Krista Dow has the details and some advice about smoke alarm safety that you might not be aware of. Beyond the boarded up windows and smell of lingering smoke, plushies and flowers serve as a sobering reminder that three generations were lost at this home on East 41st Avenue and Earl Street. The makeshift memorial growing throughout the day. Tributes to a family now without a grandfather, mother and son. Neighbours who knew of them still shaken. It is sad. I mean, so I was tearing when she told me like the, it was, a, it was a, what, 10 years old and younger. I said, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. just like... I had kid too, right? So the youngest victim has been identified as Ivan Chick, a grade four student at Corpus Christi School. In a statement, Principal Rosa Natola tells Global News, "We held prayers with the entire school and have brought in counselors to assist both staff and students. We are all still in shock and are thankful for the outpouring of prayers from the community." And those in the community wishing they could have done more. It's really hard because, like, I was thinking, like, my boyfriend wakes up at 5 a.m. for work, and you know, if, if maybe if it was a weekday, he could have, you know, seen that and called someone. Investigators are still working to determine the cause. Fire Chief Karen Fry says the smoke alarms appear to be faulty, and is reiterating the life-saving importance of working alarms. It worries me starting into January that we're seeing this kind of uh, devastation and we need to wake up Vancouver and Vancouver needs to do what we can, install, test your smoke alarms, change your batteries, replace them if they're over 10 years old. As for the surviving father and grandmother, they are out of the emergency ward tonight but still remain in hospital. And it's likely their emotional recovery will take a lifetime. Krista Dow, Global News. We are nearly two years into the COVID-19 pandemic. And if you're feeling ready to get back to living a normal life, you are definitely not alone. A new nationwide survey shows there's increasing support for ending COVID restrictions here in B.C. and confirming that many of us are indeed feeling pandemic fatigue. Richard Zussman has more. British Columbians may not agree with everything these protesters are doing in Ottawa. But there's one area where public opinion is changing. Now a split on COVID-19 restrictions. We're social animals. We need to uh, be able to, to live our lives. The variants are having the say in whether the restrictions should be lifted. And it's like taking, making everyone suffer to protect people. Earlier this month, the Angus Reid Institute found 36% of British Columbians wanted to end all COVID-19 restrictions. Now it's 52%, changing opinions to match a changing virus. 
the vast majority of people now believe that if they get sick, they expect it to perhaps be serious, but not something so severe or fatal that will put them in hospital. The current restrictions include capacity limits and a ban on certain events. The vaccine card is in place now until the end of June and masks are required in indoor public spaces. But the expectation is by family day. Some, but not all, of the restrictions will be gone. Yes, I do hope that we will be able to lift some of those restrictions and gradually get back to uh, those needed connections that we have. Men are more likely than women to want to see the restrictions disappear. Two-thirds of men, 35 to 54, want them gone, compared to 40% of women, 55-plus largely based on perceptions around COVID. If they're being told you have to start assessing your own risk, then the, the hard and fast rules around restrictions, they, they become less codified. Most that want restrictions gone at places like restaurants do want to see additional health and safety measures remain, including better access to rapid tests. People are tired. People are tired of of the ongoing uncertainty of not knowing if they can plan a wedding for the summer or not knowing how to run their business. And while the protests continue in Ottawa with a few thousand people, it could be the hundreds of thousands of people at home and their changing views that could speed up the end of restrictions. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, turning to COVID-19 now in our province and the latest numbers, including a brand new milestone for hospitalizations. We have 1,048 people in hospital. 138 of those patients are in the ICU. 19 more people died over the last three days, three of them in their 50s. There are 27,454 active cases, and that includes just over 4,000 new infections. Keith Baldry joins us now with a deeper dive into the numbers as usual and a look at the current COVID picture, if you will, Keith. Yeah, we've been reporting for some time, Chris. The key number every day is not the daily case count. That's really not reflective of what's going on out there. The more serious numbers to constantly take a look at are hospitalizations and ICUs. So take a look at this. This is our current situation when it comes to COVID-19 cases. So 273 people entered hospital over the last three days. So just that a lot of people came out, more than 200. So the net increase was 58. We're averaging about 90 people a day going into hospital. The good news is that's actually down a little bit from a week ago. 46% of the hospitalizations right now, uh, almost half are in the Fraser Health Authority, and that's been the case for some time. But the biggest growth right now is in the interior. And finally, and this is a number I like to report all the time, because again, 61 people in ICU are unvaccinated. That's 44%. So basically less than 10% of the population represent more than, almost half the number of people who are most severely ill with COVID-19. Another reason, particularly if you're older, to get vaccinated will keep you out of the ICU. Now tomorrow, an update on hospitalizations. Chris from Dr. Bonnie Henry, Health Minister Adrian Dix. One of the things we're going to be getting is a breakdown on those who are incidental cases in hospital. People go into hospital for other treatments, for other things, whether it's scheduled surgery or emergency. And once they're there, they don't have any symptoms, but they test positive for COVID-19. It's about a 55-45% split in Ontario. We expect to have similar numbers presented tomorrow. All right, we'll have that on BC One Live, I'm sure. Thanks very much, Keith. A Vancouver Island woman is coming forward saying Royal Jubilee Hospital called her to warn her it needs her to come in three times a day to feed her 87-year-old mother. As Catherine Urquhart reports, Helen Bell blames Omicron-related staff shortages for the problem, but BC's health ministry says families are not being asked to help.
Helen Bell makes another trip to Royal Jubilee Hospital in Victoria. Visits to see her mother are now required after she received a troubling phone call. And they said that they didn't have enough staff on today to feed her her meals and they would require that family come down and feed her. So would we please figure out a way of getting someone there for breakfast, lunch and supper because there weren't enough staff. Helen says her 87-year-old mother, Margaret, has been hospitalized for three months. She had surgery, then a reaction to antibiotics, which left her hands paralyzed. Helen says the phone call demanding she come and feed her mother came at 7.45 a.m. Well, it was rather alarming to think that our modern healthcare system in Canada has got to the point where we require family to come in and feed patients. In a response to Global News, the Ministry of Health said there has been no directive at any level to patients' families to assist with feeding due to staffing shortages. Capacity issues are not impacting the feeding of patients. Ensuring patients are fed will always be a priority regardless of capacity issues. I would like to say that there's real families that are really being impacted by this Omicron and we need to get it under better control before we start easing up. As for how long she'll need to feed her mother breakfast, lunch and dinner, Helen says the hospital has not given her a timeline. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Global News reached out to Island Health for an explanation and a clarification. The health authority indicated it would respond, but so far nothing has been provided. Another major setback today for BC gyms dealing with COVID closures. Some have been told they don't qualify for thousands of dollars in relief grants because they run a few hours a week of youth programming. John Waugh with more on the industry's latest body blow. For the past two years, BC's fitness industry has been struggling to just hold on. A heavy lift many owners say is hard enough without the province pulling away much-needed support. I've put my heart and soul into this business, and, and I believe that I've been doing the right thing. Like many gyms, Function Health Club in Port Coquitlam followed provincial health orders and shut down its classes. Four. Up. The only exception allowed a youth fitness One. program. It ran for only a few hours a week. It's meant as a community outreach program. It in no way is a uh, revenue driver for the business. Still, the province has decided even this small lift in business means the gym was not fully closed and is therefore not eligible for the COVID-19 closure relief grant. I've been counting on this grant to pay our rent tomorrow, and so I had three days to figure out a new plan. The grant has already been highly criticized for needing more than 99 employees to qualify for the maximum amount. When businesses said it wasn't enough, that amount doubled, but only for those shut down by extended orders. Our ask of Minister Callum's office right now is to extend this second round to fitness businesses. BC's job minister Ravi Callan wrote in a statement the grant is to support businesses forced to fully close but failed to address why a youth program that accounts for less than 5% of revenue should disqualify a business. We absolutely do not want to um, punish the people who were doing their best to not only follow the guidelines, but to also try to bring in some sort of income for their business. Mundell says even gyms that opted not to go ahead with youth classes are still being left out. 
And while getting the five grand she might have qualified for is only a minor gain. Every step of the way, we're just getting crushed. Losing it because of a loophole feels more like the province is piling on an industry already close to its breaking point. John Hua, Global News. A question of ethics at Surrey City Hall. The motion proposed by mayor and some city councillors to shut down the ethics complaint office until after the municipal election. How residents reacted next on the News Hour. She is a real firecracker. What this Campbell River senior is saying today about her encounter with an alleged shoplifter. And countdown to Beijing, China's relentless attempt to make sure COVID doesn't spoil the Olympic party. That's also coming up later. Right now, though, Surrey City Council will not be voting tonight, after all, on proposed changes to the city's code of conduct bylaw. The changes would have suspended the investigation of any new ethics complaints until after the next election. Ramina Dea is live with more on this. Ramina, some late-breaking developments. The mayor's office issuing a statement this afternoon. Chris, looks like an 11th-hour surrender in the wake of escalating public pressure. Now, just a short time ago, the mayor tabled a motion to remove the Code of Conduct bylaw from tonight's city council agenda. The motion passed. No discussion. Late this afternoon, as you mentioned, the mayor had issued a statement saying that the misinformation circulating about the bylaw was unfortunate. Now, council was set to vote tonight on shutting down the ethics complaint office until after the October municipal election. Now, the vote was expected to go in McCallum's favour because his party holds the majority of the seats on council. We have reaction tonight from two city councillors. The fact of the matter was that as of today, if this had gone through, there would be no more complaints and investigations by the Ethics Commissioner, and that is incredulous for the, for the residents of Surrey. The public really rising up over the last few days hearing about this, uh, about an ethics office, an officer, which is really for the public. It's not for American Council. This is for the public. Now, the mayor was already facing a complaint by the group Surrey Police Vote, which is demanding a referendum on policing, hugely controversial in the city. McCallum also charged last month by the RCMP with mischief. Taxpayers are on the hook for his legal costs. We still don't know when a trial is going to begin on that matter. We did ask um, McCallum's communications representative uh, if we'd be able to speak to him. We're still waiting, Chris. Never a dull moment at Surrey City Hall. Thanks very much, Ramina. That's Ramina Dea reporting from Surrey. Policies and procedures involving purchases were called into question today at the fraud and breach of trust trial of former B.C. legislature Kirk Craig James. Several items purchased by James at various gift shops while traveling for work abroad were shown to current legislative clerk Kate Ryan Lloyd. Crown asked if there were any Legislative Assembly policies that permitted an employee to obtain reimbursement for some of the items. She told the court not that she was aware of. Ryan Lloyd said she also felt that some of the stationery would not be appropriate as official gifts because they featured British history. She said James would show her items he suggested would be good additions to the gift shop. Clothing purchases have also been questioned, but Ryan Lloyd acknowledged that at the time there were unclear and inconsistent policies surrounding 
attire and reimbursement. RCMP are asking for some help after a body was found in a rural area of Kamloops. The body was discovered on Saturday in the shared parking lot of St. Joseph's Cemetery, Tecumlips Health Clinic and Tecumlips Church. Police have identified the victim but say evidence found near the body to link him to a black 2014 Honda Accord was found on Dallas Drive at Lafarge Road. That's where the car was found. Investigators are canvassing the areas, hoping to establish a timeline of events leading up to the death. What we're looking for from the public is to please have a look at their dash cam footage. Um, it's a bit of a time frame between uh, January 28th and January 29th and see if there's anything associated to those areas, in particular Chicolton Road and Lafarge Road near Dallas Drive, um, as well as the areas in between there. They could have a look and see if there's anything that could help us. Still ahead, the scam that won't go away because it works. I'm uh, just picking up a package. Seniors targeted by suspected con artists and how the banks can do more to help. And what you can do with your milk jugs now that you could never do before. Good evening and some good news over here in Delta. Cleared that rolled over semi that had westbound Highway 17 blocked to the 91 connector. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 17 and the 91 in Delta. Police across the Lower Mainland are now warning about a fraud that is convincing unsuspecting seniors to hand over thousands of dollars to criminals who show up at their front door. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on the bail money scam. We've talked about this before, including the role that banks can play in spotting red flags in. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Vancouver police continue to warn the public after several incidents of the troubling twist on the common fraud that targets seniors. Since then, more alleged victims have come forward, and some are wondering why there aren't more checks and balances in place to prevent seniors from suddenly withdrawing huge amounts of money. Hi there, it's Chris from the courthouse. I'm uh, just picking up a package. When this man collected $8,000 from two seniors on January 12th, it was the first time the VPD had seen this type of scam hitting doorsteps. It starts with a phone call. The scammer pretends to be your grandchild, a police officer, or perhaps a lawyer, and claims your relative has been arrested and is in jail. Thousands of dollars are now needed for bail. The catch? This is the only phone call allowed from jail and you can't talk to anyone about it. The criminal gets your home address and arranges to pick up the cash. A relative of one of the Vancouver seniors who lost money is wondering how the elderly are able to walk out of financial institutions with stacks of cash. In the time of COVID, what's an 82-year-old need with $10,000 in cash? These are huge amounts of money that the banks aren't even seemingly not batting an eyelash to let and letting these seniors take out this money. If there were something in place, either through legislation or just through common sense with the banks, uh, I can only take out $1,000 from the bank machine. It can be a nuisance, but it's for my protection. And clearly there's no protection at the banks for seniors. And uh, that's got to change. We uh, rely on 
people who work in financial institutions to really look out for people and if they see something unusual, if a senior citizen suddenly comes in to withdraw nine or $10,000 and doesn't really have a, um, a logical reason for doing it, we encourage them to ask some questions um, and if they think that something is unusual to consider having a conversation with them or even reporting an incident to police. Now, the Canadian Bankers Association would not do an interview, but says bank staff are aware of different fraud types, including the grandparent scam, and are trained to ask probing questions if a customer makes an unusual transaction. As the owner of the account, however, the customer is responsible for any funds that she or he withdraws from their bank account. Ultimately, banks must strike an appropriate balance between helping to prevent and detect fraud while also protecting customers' rights to access their money. Now, we also asked the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, which monitors banks, if regulation is needed to help prevent seniors from being defrauded. We did not get an answer, but the agency says the code of conduct for the delivery of banking services to seniors has been in place since January of last year and requires financial institutions to endeavour to mitigate potential financial harm to seniors. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks very much, Jan. Starting tomorrow, you'll be able to return your milk containers for a refund. Starting February 1st, a 10-cent deposit will be collected in stores on milk containers, along with those for plant-based beverages like soy, oat, or almond milks. Those cartons can then be rinsed and taken to a return -it depot for a refund on the deposit. It's expected under the new rules about 40 million more containers will be recycled annually in B.C. Coming up in it for the long haul. How long are you planning to stay here? Truckers still parked on Parliament Hill and what they say about their plans to leave. And the painful choice some ranchers have to make with a shortage of feed for their livestock. As the evening commute winds down over here at the Massey Tunnel, counterflow is out. Traffic is steady both ways with just some minor congestion at the Steveston on and off ramps. With BCAA car insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere, from ICBC auto plan renewals to exclusive savings. Visit BCAA.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Protests against COVID-19 mandates entered day three today in our nation's capital as members of parliament returned from winter break. Ottawa, of course, is still gridlocked, and the supply chain is also being impacted across western Canada, too. Global's Kyle Benning explains. The third full day of the protest convoy started bright and early on Parliament Hill. Some, like Carter McDonald, say they could be here for the long haul. How long are you planning to stay here? For? As long as it takes to end the mandates. So, so that, if that's months, like you're here? We'll see. The protests carry on as MPs make their way back to the House of Commons following a winter break. Meantime, the Prime Minister says neither he nor anyone from his government will meet with protest organizers. Disinformation and misinformation online, conspiracy theorists uh, about microchips, about you know, God knows what else that go with the tinfoil hats. Rally featured speakers including Southern Alberta Conservative MP Glenn Motts. He says fringe groups always turn up at protests, but the core group in this convoy has a clear message. They're peaceful, they're respectful, they're the ones who cleaned up the mess that others have made on the statue and at the War Memorial, and I applaud them for that. 
and uh, they're not the problem here, folks. Full garbage bags on street corners were visible early Monday as members of the convoy cleaned the area. Ottawa police officers are investigating several incidents which have taken place since the protests started. The police force says it is spending $800,000 a day managing the protest. Kyle Benning, Global News. The slew of, the slew of natural disasters that year is impacting ranchers and their ability to feed their cattle. The BC Cattlemen's Association says ranchers across the province are dealing with a shortage of feed, mainly because of last summer's drought conditions and wildfires, and making matters worse, November's devastating floods and current supply chain issues. One rancher in the North Okanagan says he's gone through it all, struggling to feed his cattle and then evacuating the animals to escape the Tremont Creek fire. They were happy they were safe, but it certainly wasn't the same as when they're out on grass and the calves are eating grass 24-7 and uh, definitely affected their weights, their weaning weights when we sold this fall. And every pound counts for us, so it was, it was a pretty trying time, pretty scary. The BC Cattlemen's Association says any government help would only go so far and that some ranchers are being forced to sell off parts of their herd. The BC SPCA says it helped a record number of animals across the province in 2021 because of the pandemic and natural disasters. The SPCA says it assisted more than 118,000 animals. That's an increase of nearly 22,000 from 2020. The society also provided more than 12,000 nights of free emergency boarding to pets whose families were displaced by wildfires and floods and helped rescue and feed animals left behind evacuation lines. The SPCA also says because so many pet owners were impacted financially, it expanded its community pet food programs, helping more than 34,000 animals. Canadian Blood Services says the spread of the Omicron variant is leading to a greater need for plasma donors. While 50% of Canadians are eligible to donate, just one person out of 80 actually does, and the ongoing pandemic has further decreased those numbers. People getting sick with COVID or exposed to it in their households haven't been able to make their appointments to donate, while the need for blood and blood plasma is not dropping off. The need for blood and blood products, it doesn't stop. So whether there's a pandemic or not, Canadians are relying on these products and we need Canadians' help to fill that. If you're eligible, booking an appointment is easy. All you have to do is call one to donate or go to blood.ca. The uh, opening ceremony for the 2022 Winter Olympics is now just four days away and officials in Beijing have now detected more than 200 cases of the virus among athletes and staff, raising concerns some of the competitions will be over before they even begin. Athletes are in a race to stay clear of COVID, with dozens of cases reported in the tightly controlled Olympic bubble designed to keep competitors safe. You're like just so stressed about, you know, making sure you're as safe as you can be. Massachusetts native Chris Mazder, who won Team USA its first ever Olympic medal in singles luge in 2018, hopes COVID won't destroy his dreams of gold this time around. It would be a tragedy. And so that's always kind of on your mind and it is stressful. Some 3,000 athletes from across the world will take part in the Winter Games. They'll have to wear masks and be tested daily for the virus. 
Florida bobsledder Josh Williamson hadn't even made it to Beijing when he got a positive test. Posting on Instagram, he delayed his flight but still hopes to compete. Beijing has reported its highest number of COVID-19 cases in 18 months, less than a week before the games begin. After 20 more cases hit the capital, officials locked down neighborhoods and tested residents. Athletes say they're doing their best to stay focused. Every athlete that's competing here, I think, has obviously put a lot of effort into, um, into staying as safe as they can. So when the time comes to compete, COVID won't stand a chance. Tina Kraus, CBS News. Still to come, one tough cookie. I'm uh, 4 foot 11, 73 years old, and 125 pounds. And he was close to six foot. The senior who said not today to a shoplifter in Campbell River. And why people can't get enough of the reaction from soccer star Alfonso Davies watching his team win when he couldn't be there. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, for those who managed to get outside to experience it, a beautiful day in the sunshine for at least parts of it, Christy. Absolutely, Chris, but it is still winter and it was cold today, even with that sunshine. And we have the four letter S word in the forecast, believe it or not. So let's have a quick look, though, at the details that were collected by Rolf uh, Campbell. 2021 had record sunshine. So, yes, recorded the top amount of sunshine at um, 1,741 hours of sunshine. And these are the top six that you can see here, but actually the top 10 years we're all after 2000, so incredible. And this year we recorded 300 more sunshine hours than we would see typically in an average year. Now this though is Woodrow and he is stoked that there is snow in the forecast. Jane, thanks for sharing that photo with us. I'm stoked too, I have to admit, I love the snow. So what we have is an inside slider on the way. So the ridge of high pressure is shifted offshore. So that means that the jet stream is driving basically down our coast. Cold air is entrenched across the province. So as this system drives up and over over that um, jet stream or that upper level ridge, what we're going to see is significant snow pushed down across the province. Not tomorrow, on Wednesday. So it's really important you tune back in tomorrow. We'll have a better idea of what we're uh, talking about. But there's a potential for maybe two to five centimeters, but there's also significant potential that a lot of areas would just see a slushy mess. Really depends on those temperatures. In the meantime, tomorrow, out through the Fraser Valley, expect a few flurries. We'll also see a few flurries uh, in through the interior regions. It's not until Wednesday that we're going to see that next system drive in and again tune back in tomorrow and we'll have much more of a an idea of what is entailed and as well the timing of course we'll break that down for you there's the flurries that we're expecting temperatures not climbing up above the freezing mark in the interior tomorrow a high of six degrees for Metro Vancouver is normal for this time of year and yes we'll be able to enjoy sunshine for one more day before that system pushes in and as you can see temperatures on Wednesday only climbing to about three degrees and that's why we're absolutely flirting with that potential for snowfall across our region. Tonight's Central Windows weather window comes to you from last night in the White Rock area. Stacy's sending us actually quite a few shots because it was a stunning sunset, not just in White Rock, but across the lower mainland with these very dark clouds above. And as the sun was setting, it just sort of caught this sliver of, of uh, clear, uh, clear spot, as you can see there, and created these stunning flowers.
That's colors. The, oh colors, my goodness. Yeah. Flowers. You that know is, what I mean. <laughs> that's the place to be for some of those beautiful sunsets too. Amazing. So it was bomb cyclone <laughs> on the weekend. Inside slider. Insider slider is our catchphrase <laughs> for this yeah. week. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And Squire joins that's us right. now with Look Ahead to Sports. All right. So um, let's watch TV with Alfonso Davies. Let's oh. watch him react to one of Canada's goals against the U.S. yesterday. That should tell you just how huge that win was, which moves us closer to Qatar. A joy to watch. Also, attention shoppers, don't mess with this senior. What she says about putting a suspected shoplifter in his place. Squires here, starting with Canucks. Yeah, that Canucks team we saw on Saturday lose in Calgary looked like the Canucks team we saw before Bruce Boudreaux arrived. And there's nothing nostalgic about that. So tonight against Chicago, the Canucks need more urgency, despite the Hawks being a lesser team in the standings. And they're going with Yaroslav Hulak, who technically hasn't played goals since last year, December 30th. Okay, first goal of the game, good forward check by the Canucks. Alex Chase on. Justin Dowling with the assist. So that gives Vancouver a 1-0 lead as he beats Marc-Andre Fleury. Canucks get lucky here. This should have been a goal for Chicago. Sam Lafferty passes, gets it back, and the net's wide open and he misses. How? I don't know. He missed it. So, a lack shutout is still going. Now Hughes throws it towards the net as John Garrett just said, and deflected in by Brock Besser. That made it 2-0. The Hawks have just scored, so shutout gone. I guess I shouldn't have said the word shutout. 2-1 now in the third period. Canada's 2-0 win over the United States yesterday moved us closer to qualifying for this year's World Cup of Soccer. Canada's not there yet, but it's close. A win Wednesday in El Salvador would almost clinch a spot. I think we need maybe four more points to clinch. During the qualifying games, there have been many different heroes, but one constant has been the play of goalkeeper Milan Borjan, who seems to make a big save every time Canada plays. Pulisic to take, in-swinging corner kick, goes near post, knocked on, Borjan with a big touch! Milan, feeling it! The hometown hero with a big stop! <laughs> Milan, I mean, he's just come up huge for us time and time again. I, I, I have, there, I have no words for for the performances that, you know, he he is has been putting out there for us. There may be no words, but when Borjan boarded the bus after beating the Americans, his teammates had plenty to cheer about. He's dialed in. When that when Milan Boyan's dialed in, uh, he, he can be one of the best, the best, best uh, around. Milan Boyan has been one of Canada's goalkeepers for 10 years, and to him, standing on guard for thee is his way of giving back to Canada, where his family emigrated when Boyan was only 13. 
Canada gave my family everything, you know, they, they gave a better life, they gave, uh, they gave uh, good schools, uh, everything, you know. So, you know, this is, this is the way, my way to return to Canada. And the best part about beating the Americans was the game was played in Hamilton, where Borean's family settled and where they still live. It's been a long time. It's been a long time and this is what we deserve. This is what Canada deserves. It's just unbelievable. Some, some unbelievable feeling. Now, Alfonso Davies could not play for Canada yesterday because he's still recovering from myocarditis, but he did invite people to watch the game with him on Twitch. And as you'll see, watching the game with Alfonso was quite a happening. Here are his reactions to both of Canada's goals yesterday. Up into the wind. It was blowing much more fiercely. Great. Okay, the Canada Cup Softball Championship is back after a two-year COVID hiatus. It'll go from June 17th to the 26th at Softball City in Surrey. And as usual, it'll feature the best in the world. Well, it's going to be a great tournament. We have uh, Team USA that's confirmed. We have obviously our own Team Canada. We're going to have an Australian team here. Uh, we'll have the, uh, the core of the Mexican team here that was at the Olympics. So four of the six Olympic teams and then a good list of other countries uh, from uh, uh, South America, Asia, and Europe will be here. So it's going to be lots of fun and, and some developing countries that are new to us. The draw right now and the interest from U.S. colleges to come here to see unscouted uh, players, the next level of Danielle Laurie or Sarah Gronwagen is huge. And uh, we're pretty excited about that and just the opportunities for our kids. And if you're wondering, early odds in the Super Bowl, Rams four-and-a-half-point favorites over the Bengals right now. Mm. It'll change, though. Things go the way they're going. It'll be a great game no matter what. Thanks, Squire. Coming up, a senior shopper who acted more like a security guard and why she stood up to a suspected shoplifter. today from the Campbell River senior whose actions have gone viral after a video posted to social media showing her confronting an apparent shoplifter. Kylie Stanton met up with Elaine Galloway to ask her about stepping in to stop him. The cart starts to roll, then the camera. You pay for that? The man recording knows the thief plans to walk out, stealing what appears to be hundreds of dollars worth of product. What he doesn't know is this woman is about to be his partner in fighting crime. I'm uh, 4 foot 11, 73 years old and 125 pounds. And it was a gut reaction. 
While shopping, Galloway says she saw the man put meat into his backpack and reported it to staff. But when she realized security wasn't there to intercept him at the door, she let her instincts take over. I was a bank teller for 17 years, and I have been held up at gunpoint. And I know that the police have said that if they get a clear view of the person, then they know who, who the suspect is that they're looking for. And now hundreds of thousands have seen the man's face as well. The video of the altercation has made its rounds on social media, thousands commenting, praising the feisty grandma's actions. <laughs> she was very gutsy. Oh. I give her a lot of credit for doing what she did. I think she deserves a pat on the back. But at the same time, many identifying with Galloway's obvious frustration. Get out. It's just too much of this going on, stealing and walking out the door. It's uh, definitely planned and the uh, They've done it before. Campbell River RCMP is aware of the incident, and while they commend Galloway's bravery, they don't necessarily recommend the course of action. I, I know it was just a boiling point, and when he pushed, pushed me, that was a boiling point. That said, she would do it all over again, no matter her age or height. Her convictions are as strong as ever. I'm fed up of the stuff that goes on here in Campbell River. It's a small town, and it's not good for this kind of thing to be going on all the time. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Elaine Galloway, you are our hero. She should be part of the Avengers. So good. It was so good. <laughs> I saw that video yesterday, and I was like, that's the best video I've seen in a long time. Good for you. Uh, okay, last word uh, on weather before we go. Christy? Sure, so cold and clear tonight. Frosty start to the day tomorrow with some nice sunshine. The real uh, sort of main event is going to move in on Wednesday. Not likely early in the morning, but throughout the day on Wednesday, and that could bring some snow, so tune back in tomorrow. I know where my snow shovel is, that's for sure. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night.